Welcome to Behind the Case, an ACG Case Reports Journal podcast, brought to you by the American College of Gastroenterology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Roberto Simons Linares, Editor-in-Chief of the ACG Case Report Journal and a GI Fellow at the Cleveland Clinic. And today, I would like to welcome our guest, Dr. Diana Snyder, who is the author of a noteworthy article published in our journal. She is a GI Fellow at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. So, Diana, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So Diana's article is entitled Esophageal Leukoplakia. So Diana, could you please summarize the case for the audience? Yes, so this is a 64-year-old gentleman that had history of smoking who came to see us in the gastroenterology clinic for about 11 months or so of solid food dysphagia. So we proceeded with an upper endoscopy and actually found at the esophagogastric junction that he had white plaques that were noted there that we weren't able to rub off with the endoscope. So ultimately this area was biopsied. On the biopsies is where we found the esophageal leukoplakia. And actually this is a really rare entity in the esophagus. There is not a lot that we know about in terms of the etiology, natural history, but because of rare case reports showing there could be an association with adjacent malignancy, we did proceed with endoscopic submucosal dissection. Ultimately he did really well with the procedure. His dysphagia resolved afterwards, and then he was scheduled for follow-up upper endoscopy surveillance. Thank you. That's a great summary. I always encourage the audience to go to the journal's website and read the full case report and look at the images. Obviously, they're a great source of learning. So, as you mentioned, Diana, uh, esophageal leukoplakia is very rare. So, what is it exactly? So, leukoplakia itself is essentially a clinical definition. It's basically a white plaque or patch that occurs anywhere on a mucosal surface. It's really relatively common within the oral cavity, particularly in older patients and patients who are smokers. As I mentioned, the esophagus, it's extremely rare just in case reports and small case series. The best study that was done on this was actually through pathology groups back in 2013. There were six pathology groups from various high referral center academic institutions that evaluated 10 years worth of biopsies. And over that 10 year period, they only identified 18 cases of the esophageal leukoplakia. So it's quite rare. In terms of what we see endoscopically, it looks like a heaped up area of white patch or plaque. It has pretty well demarcated borders and it can have sometimes a cobblestone appearance to it. And how, how does it usually present? Is there symptoms? Is, and what was different in your case that you were mentioning the patient presented with dysphagia? Is this classic or mm-hmm. how, how is it? So as far as we know, based on the small case series, dysphagia is the most common presenting symptom. However, it's difficult to assess this because we have such a limited patient population. There are some patients that also present with reflux symptoms. As I mentioned with our patient, he did present with dysphagia, which is the most common in the case series. About 61% of the patients presented that way. And the other thing that I mentioned as well is that with the dysphagia completely resolved after the resection, which was good. Are there a specific like histologic features Could you tell us about that, please? Yeah, so the diagnosis initially is suspected based on the endoscopic appearance. As I mentioned, the plaque should not rub off with the tip of the endoscope. And then histologically, there's a few different features. So when the pathologist is looking under low power on the microscope, 
The mucosa should have a wave-like or undulating appearance, and this is very distinct from the adjacent normal mucosa. And then when the pathologist looks under high power, there's a few different features. It's described as epidermoid metaplasia, which is basically a thickening of the two outermost layers of the mucosa. Are there differential diagnoses that we should consider, you know, when you see it endoscopically, and what are, what are those? Definitely. So one thing to consider is candida esophagitis. The main distinguishing feature with this is that those plaques should rub off with the tip of the endoscope. However, we should confirm that with staining for fungal stains, and we did for our patient. It was negative. In addition, as I mentioned, from that 2013 pathology series, there were three patients that had adjacent high-grade dysplasia or squamous cell carcinoma. So definitely those should be kept under differential diagnosis as well. And how is it usually managed, and how do you manage your patient? So the challenging thing for this, as I mentioned, is it's so rare, so there really isn't a standardized management plan. However, because of that association with the adjacent dysplasia or carcinoma, the two main strategies so far have been one, very close endoscopic surveillance with biopsies or actual resection. So as I mentioned with our patient, we completed ESD or endoscopic submucosal dissection. For those that aren't super familiar with that, it's an advanced therapeutic technique and there are many variations to this, but the main goal is curative resection of the entire neoplastic lesion. This is performed in many areas of the GI tract, including the esophagus. And essentially what's done is the outer line is marcated with cautery, and then the mucosa is removed circumferentially, and then ultimately a needle knife is used to dissect the underlying submucosa. The goal, as I said, is to get one big tissue specimen where the complete neoplasm is removed. That's a great explanation. So what do you think, Diana, was the most challenging part of this case for you? So what's really challenging, as I mentioned, is because we have such little information at this time about this disease process. So as I said, the etiology and natural history really aren't clear, and we've only identified a few cases. So because of that, it becomes challenging to counsel our patients on what to do if we do find this in them. So really it turns into a one-on-one -on -one discussion explaining to them exactly what we know, what we don't know, and what the management options are. Ultimately, the most important thing to remember is that since this disease entity is so rare, if you do diagnose this in a patient, they should be referred to a center that has an expert that knows how to manage this and has seen these cases before. Great. And... Uh... Finally, could you summarize the take-home points of this case for the audience? Sure. So esophageal leukoplakia is very rare. It's something we should consider, though, on our differential diagnosis for dysphagia, especially for patients that are older or have a significant smoking history. There's a lot more that we need to learn about the etiology and natural history, but because of associations with adjacent squamous cell carcinoma, we should consider close endoscopic surveillance or resection of the lesions. And the most important thing, as I mentioned, is to refer the patient to a center that has a gastroenterologist that has managed this before. Excellent. It was a great case. And I, I always like to ask a non-medical question uh, to our guests. Diana, tell us something about you that most people don't know. So an interesting fact, I was born in the car on the Kennedy Expressway in Chicago. <laughs> My dad, who is not a physician, delivered me, so he was quite brave. Um, not unexpectedly, I'm the youngest of two siblings because he was pretty much done having kids after <laughs> that process, but it was interesting because it was the 1980s wow. and there were no cell phones, so wow. he had to flag down a construction truck and get them to radio an ambulance to send my mom and me to the hospital. Wow, thanks for sharing that. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. I hope it wasn't in the winter, you know? <laughs> Thankfully, May, so not too bad in Chicago then. Great.
Well, with that, we finalized this episode of Behind the Case here at ACG Meeting 2019. Uh, thank you, Diana, for joining us again. Thank you and for having me. Thank you to the audience for listening. And until next episode.